The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And, you know, thanks again for participating and joining us on these AI Today podcasts. We've been going strong now. This is our fifth year, 250 plus episodes. And you've been listening to AI Today. You'll know that we really spent a lot of time helping our audience. Many of you who are running teams, many we have heard from many of you. We actually hear from you guys on a weekly basis, which is fantastic, telling us that I'm managing a team of AI people, of data people, of automation people. Maybe it's even folks who are involved more tangentially. You're in compliance. We were working with folks in compliance and legal. And you're telling us that you're finding a lot of the stuff that we've been providing here on this podcast useful to what you do, because it's helping you understand how to manage and you know, push those teams to do things the right way, right? And we know that a lot of the gap that we're filling here is, is really this, this idea of vendor neutral. You know, we don't have a product to sell other than our information, honestly, even our training and education and our workshops that we do. That is an information product, right? We're not implementing these things for you. We are helping you implement these things for yourself. And, um, you know, we're going to continue along that because you guys love it so much. We're really going to focus a lot more of these AI Today podcasts on these concepts to help you understand things. Um, But we're going to go a little bit further because we've heard from many of you who want to interact with us and really spend more time with us on these topics. So we're in the middle of this automation to intelligence series. And Kathleen will talk a little bit more about that. But we want to provide a way for you to actually interact with us and ask us some questions, especially on the fundamental bits of what and how how do we automate. Exactly. So if you're interested in attending one of those webinars so that you can join us live and interact and ask questions so that we can really get a chance to have more of that two-way conversation, then make sure to register at aitoday.live slash automation. That's aitoday.live slash automation. It'll bring you up to our next webinar, and we definitely hope that you uh, sign up for it. We understand that people listen to our podcasts at all different times, not just right after we publish it. So it'll bring you up. It'll um, bring you right to our next webinar. So no need to worry about Whenever you're listening to this, we plan to run these often because if you've attended any of the sessions and communities that we run, our AI and government or data, our enterprise data and AI community, then you'll know that the Q&A is some of our favorite parts. And so we wanted to interact with our (coughs) podcast listeners and our community in general. So uh, especially around some of these larger topics that we discuss on the podcast, and that's why we're having these upcoming webinars. So definitely, again, one more time, aitoday.live slash automation, and you can register for an upcoming uh, webinar that we have. But as Ron mentioned, we do have our Automation to Intelligence podcast series, and we always love to hear from our listeners. So if you're interested in reaching out, you can always rate us on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We check that uh, regularly to get your feedback. You can also email us at info at cognolitica.com. That's info at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. 
Uh, so those are just, you know, a f- couple ways that you can interact with us while you're not listening to the podcast. But uh, we found that this is a really insightful uh podcast series and something that's been resonating with the listeners that have been reaching out to us because maybe you are starting automation or you're kind of stuck on where to go. You're not really sure. And so this is to help, you know, educate you and your team to really move you forward. So if you've not listened to any of our other podcasts in the series, I encourage you to go back and check them out. I'll make sure to link to them in the show notes. But we wanted to start today's podcast really, you know, now that we've we've introduced you to a few and we've had a few in the series around automation to intelligence, we really wanted to introduce today where and how to start with level zero automation. And the level is the level of intelligence. So this really is, I'm using air quotes, dumb automation. Yeah. So as part of this automation to intelligence series, we talked about why do we even automate? And, uh, you know, we, we will reiterate many of the reasons why we automate here on this podcast as well. But a lot of it has to do with taking the human, which things that our humans are not really good at, repeating, doing things reliably over and over again, being efficient. You know, we're not machines, right? Uh, which is what machines are good at, what machines do. Humans are good at what humans do. And we use machines to help us do the things that we're not good at. That's the whole point of a machine, right? And we, <laughs> yeah. we can gain speed. You know, we make mistakes. We're not perfect, right? And so, you know, that was the reasons why we automate. And, you know, you might be thinking all about automation in terms of like the physical real world, you know, like uh, the factory lines and factory automation, which you've had for hundreds of years now, since the industrial revolution. Or you might be thinking in terms of robots, you know, physical bots, which we've had for decades now. But, you know, a lot of automation is going, uh, doing the things that have to do with automating information, you know, automating moving information, automating handling information, and automating moving things into and out of data systems and handling that. And so there's been a lot of emphasis on that recently because there is still a lot of value that can be gained because humans, again, we're not the greatest at doing things repeatedly, even with data. Even if we don't have to mind our, you know, our our flesh and bones getting in the way of things, we still have to deal with our brains and the limited ability and our fatigue and our ability to pay attention to details. So that's the reasons why we automate. Now, if you haven't heard of our for the four levels of automation from level zero to level three of intelligent automation, you know, briefly what they are is they're adding increasing levels of intelligence to solve increasingly harder problems to automate. So for example, the reason why it's at level zero is just sort of like your car that you may, most of you have right now, uh, which has basically no autonomy at all. If you, you know, uh, closed your eyes and you took your hands off the steering wheel or the gas pedal, your car would probably not do things you'd want it to do if you were driving on a highway or any place really where there's anything around you. So that's what the same idea with level zero intelligent automation. They're just repeating things, doing things over and over again. They're not, there's like no intelligence other than the human to guide the machine as to what to do and when to do, when to start, when to stop, where to turn, right? It's all the same as a vehicle, right? And as we move to each increasing level, level one, we're adding some intelligence, right? We're adding some intelligence to handle some of the variability that's in systems, you know, natural language processing, conversational systems, some of those activities. And as we move increasing levels, level two, we're having the machine make more of the decisions, you know, taking some of the decisions away so that the humans don't have to decide uh, these things because those are the things that are harder to automate. And at the highest level of automation, the the level three, just like self-driving cars, we have this idea of self-driving processes where we can have machines running autonomously, all these things that humans don't even have to get involved in. Now, it's not about moving everything 
from zero to level to level three, right? It's more about finding those tasks that are best suited at each of these levels of automation, because that's where machines really go for. So um, it's hard to visualize this, but we have this chart that we present at our workshops and actually in our webinars as well. We talk about level zero being the most repeatable and predictable tasks to automate and level three being the most variable and the most unpredictable tasks and processes to automate. And of course, level one and level two being some mix between. So, so hopefully that gives you some idea that there's really no stigma. You know, when someone says, I'm just doing dumb automation, we're like, well, I'm just driving my car. Nothing dumb about <laughs> I'm not saying you are dumb. I'm just saying the automation doesn't itself need to be particularly intelligent because it's doing things that are over, you know, it's doing things that are very repeatable. So you don't need to add any level of variability to that. We want it to be predictable and repeatable. Exactly. And if you've listened to our podcast in the past, you'll know that we regular, regularly say automation in itself is not intelligence, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't provide a lot of value for your organization. So that's important to understand. And that's why we wanted to present it in these different levels as well uh, to help you and your team figure out, okay, what can I automate at level zero and what may need some more of that, you know, cognitive need to add more intelligence into it. And, you know, hopefully by now you're listening and saying, okay, there's plenty that I can automate that is going to be repeatable and predictable tasks. And I can see tremendous value rather than having me go in and do that all the time because I get very bored. It's error prone, someone on your team. So, you know, you can, you can introduce automation rather than have humans do that. And when you do want to introduce automation, think about the ROI, that return on investment that it's going to provide. And again, with level zero automation, you can find a lot of ROI when you focus on certain things. So level zero automation really is focused on improving efficiency. So you're going to help make things more efficient. And this can be either with movement. So you're, you know, think about a physical hardware robot and it's moving things, objects from one place to another. Well, a software bot is going to do that too. It's just going to be moving things like data or information from one place to another. That can commonly also be referred to as swivel chair integration. So you think you have data on one system and then you need to move and you swivel your chair and you put it into another uh, you know, database or system. And so that's what these uh, intel, unintelligent, that level zero automation can do for you. And also things like data capture, you know, so you're taking data from one place and bringing it to another. Yeah. The but, second thing you can do is uh, assembly. So let's talk a little about that. So, cause, cause we think about robots and what they do and we think that they're moving things around, but they're also, you might be thinking, oh, these robots might be assembling things, right? So, you know, a physical robot, you know, like an industrial robot that you might see at your um, automobile manufacturing company, maybe, well, you might see them. Uh, some of these robots are moving things. They're moving the pieces together. And then all the robots are welding them together. Right. And so you may be thinking movement and assembly. And you may be thinking, OK, that's nice for a physical robot. But but what am I assembling software? Well, we assemble data a lot. We take data 
from two places. So we moved it together and then I'm going to combine them together. Maybe I'm putting them into an applicant tracking system. Maybe I'm doing some sort of, you know, analysis, you know, I need to do some, something for my, my sales system or my invoicing. Right. Or, and, you know, so I can think of like, I'm combining it together as a sem, like welding the data together. Right. But it may even be packaging. You might be thinking, oh, there's a robot out there that can like, you know, put things on a pallet and then shrink wrap it. Right. Well, that's packaging, right? But we may, we're even doing packaging with data. I might be taking data from three or four places and putting it into a report or creating a document or creating a chart. So the funny thing is, even though we, we, don't, we don't like to confuse people with like, oh, we're not really building physical robots. A lot of the ideas do come from robotics where 90% of what physical robots do in the world is they move things around and they assemble things. And 90% of what we're going to do with our software automations, with our software bots, we're going to move things around and we're going to assemble it. Now, there's other things that we're going to do with our bots too, besides just moving things around and assembling things. Exactly. So when we're thinking about you know automation and what we can automate, especially at this level zero, where it's that dumb you know automation, we're going to be focused on improving reliability, and also focused on improving repeatability as well. So we want to make sure that whatever it is, it's going to be you know reliable, done the same way every time. Those are really great things to automate. Expect that repeatable same result over and over and over again. That can help tremendously. I mean, think about that. And we're thinking about the ROI here. You know, if I'm doing it if I'm having automation come in and do things the same way every single time, that means that I'm not going to have to go back and fix the errors that the humans accidentally made. It can save you a lot of time and really improve your ROI. Also, it's going to be focused on increasing the task or the process speed. So if you can look at this two ways, either you look at it and you say, you know, I need to if you're thinking about this from a hardware perspective, the robot packs 10 boxes a day. Well, that has removed me from packing physically these 10 boxes to now the robot packing these 10 boxes. Okay, that's going to save some time. If you need to scale that though, and you need to go from 10 to 20 or 10 to 50, 10 to 100, think about how that's going to speed up that time and free whatever you know human was doing that task to now be able to do something else. So you can increase that, you know, task and process speed there. That can also help with if there's bottlenecks, for example, that can help reduce some of those bottlenecks depending on what it is that you're automating. And also if you're in an industry where you have a lot of compliance needs or your company has certain, you know, rules and processes that you need to do, well, automation can help improve that because sometimes humans can get lazy and we don't feel like, you know, adding this document every single time, or yes, I know I'm supposed to check the name field uh, with the application that was submitted versus what's in our system, but I am getting tired. It's the end of the day. I kind of just want to go home. And so I've skipped it on the last few and maybe they had errors. Well, and that's something that, you know, we're supposed to do and document that we did. Machines, and if you have that automation, will do it the same exact way every single time. They do not fatigue. They do not tire. They will not change the way that they were programmed to do things, which can be really great 
because that means that it's going to be done the same exact way every single time. We talked in a previous podcast about managing what you measure. That's really important and comes into play here. Yeah, because you can't manage what you don't measure. So if you know if you don't know how long things take, how many mistakes you're making, where the bottlenecks are, which what you know uh, what skips your steps you're skipping, whatever, then you know uh, you can't do anything to fix those things because you have no idea you know how many mistakes you're making. Whereas if, when you start to automate things, that's when you could start measuring those things. Now these are not just like uh, general ideas for ROI. Each of those specific, we're going to come back to this idea later in this podcast. It's something we spend a lot of our time in our work shops, we actually have a physical activity where we get together with these teams. We we help them identify where all the opportunities are for automation. And it turns out these are separate things. It's one thing to have an opportunity where I'm uh, basically improving efficiency because it's like, well, you know, it, I, you know, it takes me two hours of every day to take, you know, to do these emails and or whatever I have to do. If I can have a bot do it, then I can recover that time. Then I can spend that time doing something else. That's what efficiency is all about. It's another thing to say, well, wait a second, even in the best situation, I can only handle 30, 40 applications a day, you may have another thing that's like, well, wait a sec, we need to handle 300 applications a day. That's a different reason. You know, Increasing scale is another reason beyond just improving efficiency. One is about saving time and money. The other one is about like, well, you know, I have this huge backlog. <laughs> never, never going to get through it, even with the most efficient human. So, so each of these things presents opportunities. When you think of them that way, amazingly, people come up with like a very large list of potential opportunities and things to automate. And then you could start prioritizing them. One of the things we didn't really spend much time just now talking about is there, how do you know when, when to do things in what order? And um, I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on it here, but long story short, you know, do you have, are you bleeding? <laughs> is there pain right now you got to solve? You know, it's nice to talk about the big picture, but uh, really you need to prioritize. And to do that, we'll talk about that, I think, and, and when we get to the, to the checklist part. But one of the things you need to think about when we talk about those tasks is, is the human involved? And does the human need to be involved in those tasks? Even if it's a basic thing where it's like you're taking data from one system and moving it to another. There's a concept that uh, comes out of software automation called you know, doing things, as what's called as attended bots, where you have a, a bot that's actually, we don't really like that term. It's a really confusing term. It's the better term is thinking like, if you have a bot or some, a bot, a physical bot, like a cobot or a software bot, like a user interface uh, bot, they may be helping you do your task. If I'm on the phone, like, you know, someone's calling in, uh, I'm in a call center and someone's calling in to ask for, um, to, to return a product, right? Um, well, if I have to look up that person's order, see when it shipped, see how much the product was, where coupons apply, whatever, all the things you got to do, you know, is it, is it like a high value product? Is it a low one? Do I need proof of, of damage? Whatever the thing is, if you, if, if you could be spent, you know, if you could be spending your time on, you know, on the phone with the person having a conversation, and then you could say, well, I'm just going to kick off a bot to do all those things. So I, so like in 10 seconds or 15 seconds, I get the answer back to say, yes, you can issue a refund or no, we're missing this information. I don't need to be sitting and be like, can you please hold? Because that's what, that's what would happen. Please hold. Then you're waiting, checking. The, what's that person doing? They're like scrambling. I mean, they're like checking the system. The system's down. They're having a problem. They fat fingered, typed your name wrong. Who knows what? There's a whole class of automations where the, the bot is just helping the person do their task best. And, and the best way to understand these, these are actually the lowest risk because at the end of the day, the human is still there to say, oh, this bot didn't 
gave me all the right information. So maybe I need to get something more, right? And that's useful. But of course, we have these other idea of these bots that are completely automated, what the RPA industry calls unattended, where they don't need human operation. And you know, there's a lot of examples of this, but those are higher risk, right? Exactly. So examples that could be unattended bots are if it's automatically taking inbound emails, where an email comes in and once it's once it's sent, the bot knows to trigger to do some sort of action with it, maybe take take that email and you know extract data and move it to another area. Uh, so extracting information can be that or a performing an operation. So if I you know get that email, then it knows, okay, an email was sent from this sender. That means that I need to uh, have the bot kick off this task right now. So you know those, those can be different things where it's unattended or it's a, something that runs, you know, every night at, starting at midnight so that it's unattended, but it goes off time. And so it knows that once the clock strikes midnight, it needs to go off and do whatever it is that you've programmed it to do. So those are some examples of unattended bots. The really important thing to understand here, you know, when we're presenting this is understand that just because you're automating something, doesn't necessarily mean that the human is out of the loop. And so the really big, big important question that you need to be asking is, when does the human need to be in the loop? That's a really important question because that's going to help with the automation that you put into place. And once you've asked that, and again, this is why you need to do this with your team because every team is going to have a different answer to this. And that's okay. There is no right answer. It's just what's right for your team. So that's important to understand. Doesn't mean, oh, well, there is no human in the loop here. So I guess it's wrong. Nope, nope, it's not. But make sure to ask that question and be honest in your answer. You also should be asking questions like, when is the machine adding value to the human-centric task? So Ron said, you know, customer service, for example, am I having the bot add to the human. So the human's going to be interacting with the person on the other end of the line, no matter what, but the bot's just helping the human perform their job better and faster, get the data and the information that they need quicker. Okay. That's important to know. Maybe if you don't have customer service and call centers at your uh, company, then that's not an example that you would need. You're going to also want to say, when is a human performing a machine-like task? If you have listened to our podcast ever, you know that we say, take the robot out of the human. Humans are not good. Like I I can't look at a spreadsheet and just do like a copy paste task for hours on end. My eyes gloss over. I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to find anything that I can do so that I don't have to do that task because I don't find that fulfilling. Well, guess what? A lot of other humans probably don't either. That's a machine-like task. Just automate it. Just automate it. If you can, automate it. Mm -hmm. Also, you want to be asking questions like, what can go wrong when the human is out of the loop? Um, really important. Make sure that you're really asking this with the team and answering this question honestly. Sometimes you can say, well, you know, not much because this is just a very, very side thing. And if, if 
there is no human in the loop and it's wrong, then it just doesn't trigger the next step. But that's okay because it didn't, you know, really matter. Or you can say if the human's not in the loop and it doesn't trigger the next step, it's going to create a tremendous amount of problems because this is something that's running overnight and it needs to kick off. And if it doesn't, if there's nobody there to, to, you know, oversee it and be checking it, it can go days and, you know, nobody's going to realize that can be a big problem. And then you can also, on the flip side of that, you should be asking the question, what can go wrong when the human is in the loop. So ask what's going to happen when you take the human out of the loop and also ask what can go wrong if you're putting a human in the loop. Different questions, both equally important. Yeah. And the funny thing is that this is what helps you identify what tasks to automate. You may be thinking, well, wait a second, how does this help you identify what tasks to automate? Well, we just said, well, if a human is acting like a machine, they're literally just sitting there taking things from one place and putting them into another. And uh, that human, what can, so, the, so you can ask the question, well, what can go wrong when the human is in that loop? Well, the human could cut and paste the wrong thing, <laughs> or they could put things in the wrong place, or maybe they skip a step. That's funny because when a human is acting like a machine, the problems are usually when the human is in the loop. When, when you need a machine to happen where there's a human-centric task, that's, you have problems when the human is out of the loop because the machines make mistakes that a human wouldn't make. It's kind of funny. It's a little bit of a mirror, right? When humans act like machines, humans make mistakes that machines wouldn't make. But when machines act like humans, machines make mistakes that humans wouldn't make. It's kind of funny because it helps you because you're like, oh, if I'm automating some task that is more machine-like than human-like, and it's something that'll help a human do the human things better and help machines do what the machines do better, that's going to be like a home run task to automate because the machine's doing what the machine does best, the human does what the humans do best. No one is out of the wrong loop. We are happy. So part of this has to do with like, well, how do I figure out what to automate? And we can say, well, there's the basic way, the easy way of figuring it out. There's a more advanced way of doing it. We're not going to go too much to the advanced way of doing it, but the, the basic way of figuring out what to automate is you could think, well, what tasks do I have that I can automate that will basically save me time or save me some expense. So they're basically focused on efficiency and speed, right? Two different things, but you know, one may be like, you know, removing me from the loop will save me two hours a day, or removing me from the loop will allow me to, you know, scale the number of insurance claims we can handle from 100 a day to 1,000 a day. That's a very, those are good potential tasks to automate, right? Another way of looking at it is not in terms of time and cost savings, but things in terms of value base, which is like, okay, well, if I can automate this, then I can increase like the, the value that I'm providing to the overall business process. It's like by automating this, I can finally take all my supplier invoices and figure out who my most valuable suppliers are. Maybe I can have some automated task that does that, right? A human has no time to do that because I'm spending all of my day doing dumb stuff. <laughs> I, know. I mean, hopefully now you're like really getting these pain points because right. I, everyone I'm like, Ooh, cringing. Yes. Ooh, cringing. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Or the other thing we could do from a value perspective, it's like, Hey, you know, if I can just make things more reliable, maybe our customers will be happy, maybe more repeatable because maybe every time we do it, it's like, Oh, you know, somebody went on vacation and you have some, somebody else doing it. They're making a ton of mistakes, right? Improves precision. We didn't talk too much about precision, but like, think about it in terms of like, imagine you had a human drilling the same hole with like a drill press all day. It's like, okay, they're not going to like, you know, they're going to do that task and I can skip it, but that, that hole might not necessarily be in the same exact place. Mm -hmm. every single time, Right. 
having a machine do it will, will improve your precision, right? Exactly. And bringing up the example from one of our previous automation to intelligence podcasts where Ron talked about the nail. Mm-hmm. That's right. Humans yeah. versus machines making that nail. You know, you're not going to make it the same exact way every single time when you're pounding that nail as a human. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, artisan nails are great for things that require art. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like artisan bread but, versus uh, the bread that I get from the grocery store. You know, <laughs> they both serve a purpose. It's very, very hard to build, like, you know, large scale housing complexes with art with artisan nails. Right. So, 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 and then th- I think the, the last easy, basic way of figuring out what to automate and prioritize. You can also say, well, let's just look at the tasks that have the highest risk. You know, maybe the things where I'm making the most mistakes or the things where I'm like not skipping compliance steps or the things where like, we're not doing things, you know, those might not save you time and money, but they may be eliminated risk. And if you do this activity, you could rapidly come up with at least a candidate list, but like a brainstorm list of the kinds of things that you can automate. And then of course, there's other things that you need to do to talk about how hard those things are to automate. We'll get into some of that. And that's the basic way of doing it. There is a more advanced way of doing it. There actually is a formal discipline. If you go to business school, and uh, sorry to mention, but I did go to business school. <laughs> I'm sorry because uh, you don't need to go to business school for this, honestly. You know, a, a lot of you can learn a lot of this stuff on your own. But um, there is a formal discipline called task and time analysis. And back in the day when we were working on it, actually introducing factories and assembly lines for the first time, people would actually sit there with like a clipboard and they'd take a look and say, okay, let's see how you're, you know, assembling that thing. And they'd, they'd jot every single motion and how long each thing would take. They'd be like, okay, taking nails out of their box, putting them on the shelf, action one, action two. And then they look at each one of those things. They calculate what the value would be to taking that and spending the money and time to automate that and the return it would be. You can do that. There are, there are formal methods for task and uh, time analysis. Um, you don't necessarily need to do that. A, a brainstorm list will probably come up with some good candidate lists, but that is definitely something that we see more advanced and something we, we definitely talk, spend more time on in, in, in our workshops and other places like that. Exactly. And as Ron mentioned in our workshops, we also you know, help create and we provide checklists and cheat sheets so that you don't need to be having to go to business school to figure this out. And if your team is you know, more technical, don't worry about that. That's what the workshops help. They're really hands-on, really interactive and engaging so that you can work through this uh, with the workshop that we have laid out. So you don't need, you don't need to be recreating things. And again, the um, webinar that we will be doing is a little bit more interactive in the sense that you do get to ask us more of your specific questions, which we love to hear because that's when we understand what's really engaging with our audience and where it's resonating and you know where we need to dig deeper. So again, you can go to aitoday.live slash automation and register for an upcoming webinar. We always love to hear from our podcast listeners. So I hope that many of you will be coming to those. So now, you know, we've we've walked you through, okay, you're figuring out where the ROI you're looking at. Now, hopefully you're thinking about identifying and prioritizing opportunities for that level zero automation. We're really, you know, again, we're not even worrying about intelligence at this point at all, just basic, you know, dumb automation as we're calling it. Now you want to plan and iterate to figure out what it is that you are going to automate first, because putting together a list is awesome, 
But sometimes you can get so excited, you want to do it all at once. And you have to take a step back and go, whoa, hold on. At Cognolytica, we always say, start small, think big, and iterate often. Take that approach here. Start small, right? Don't go and say, I'm going to, I have 50 tasks that I uh, jotted down for automation. I'm going to tackle them all, all right now at the same time. Don't do that. Start small, start with one, but it's great that you've thought big and you've identified those 50 so that you know what you're doing. And then again, you're going to iterate often. So continue to improve on that automation, figure out what you can do next. And that is a really great place to start. So make sure that you are following in these steps. You're also going to want to determine the cost of automation. You know, we've talked about in a previous podcast that automation, just like anything, is not free. So there's a cost to a human, and that's typically going to be your most expensive cost because humans, you know, are, are the most expensive thing. But automation is there's a cost to automation as well. So you're going to want to figure out what that total cost of the automation is. If this is hardware, if this is software, you're also going to want to think about what types of services are going on to this. Is there maintenance? I mean, we've said now, I don't think anything these days really when it comes to technology and software is a set it and forget it thing. Your automation is not going to be that either. So you're going to have to have maintenance on it. You're going to have to have upkeep. What's that cost? And does that mean that you know you're relying heavily on one person what if that person's retiring just think about what all of those costs mean and not just kind of that initial upfront one time cost but those continual costs as well like i talked about that maintenance that upkeep the iteration if there's a problem and you need to fix it you know not all forms that come in uh, are going to stay the same for decades and maybe your internal forms change or your logo has changed, which causes you to you know, recreate forms, which means that layouts have changed. And if you're pulling data from one field and adding it to another field, maybe the actual you know, location has changed. And you need to think about that when you're building automations. Yeah. And the other thing you have to think about, and this is one of the considerations for which things you automate are, or you know how many how much do you have to iterate the actual automation like are will these automations change you know is there something about the thing you're automating where it's like you know every 3 or 4 months like you know the system changes or something changes right that's going to mean that even if you just automated that one task if that task the nature of that task keeps changing you're going to keep spending money on that uh, iterating on the the cost of developing the automation and managing that automation fixing any problems you know, if you're automating something that's a high degree of variability, we're going to get into this in our future podcast. You know, it's not always a candidate for level zero automation, things that have a lot of variability, but people do try. They try to shoehorn something <laughs> yeah. in there. And, and that means that they're spending a lot of their time on the exceptions, figuring you know, out how to handle them. And this is where it's like, okay, this is where you might want to consider moving your way up this, uh, the journey on the roadmap to the next level. So again, uh, you know, part of this is you can't manage what you don't measure. So start measuring everything right away. How much time is this actually, if you're doing something that's save time, does it save time? How much time is it saving? Are you saving a cost? Is it, is it, you doing that? Are you actually reducing errors? If that's the problem, are you increasing compliance? Whatever the, 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 the ROI reason is, you have to measure it. Otherwise you don't know if you, you did anything and maybe it, it's solving it even better than you can ever expect it. We have heard many situations. Actually, we have a couple of case studies from the research side of our business where you know, we've gone these AP, these use cases and automation where it's saved a ridiculous amount of money doing some really tiny little task, checking 
on whether a contractor is valid on some system. Apparently, this, this thing called contractor determinations that happen in the government, they happen so many times that there are whole teams that all they do is, is, is figure out if a contractor is even able to bid on something. And they automated that and they saved some ridiculous amount of money. And uh, well, that worked out. It's like hard to argue against that, right? You're not going to put the human back in the loop on that. So uh, this is really good. So, um, you know, you know, next you might be thinking, great. Okay. I figured out what to automate. Uh, I figured out what my ROI is. I figured out maybe even a plan. I prioritize things. I know what I'm doing. The human, I know what's going to happen if the human's in the loop or out of the loop, whatever it is. So how do I actually do it? Well, now you're actually just, now you're building the automation, right? So if you have something actually hardware, like I'm automating something physical, like I'm actually moving something around or I'm assembling something. Yeah. You can get actual robots, like real robots <laughs> or whatever the automation is, you know, maybe some automated welding thing, whatever. I, we're not going to get into that. That's not our uh, can of beans, right? That's not what we do. If you're doing software automation, so you're basically moving around data, right? Or you're dealing with automating data, data in to some system, data out, assembling data, doing those things, moving data around, assembling it, packaging it up. Well, you know, there's two ways you can do it. You, you know, you can hire a developer, get your IT team on it, and they can actually try to actually physically move the data from one system, extract it using programming language, right? APIs and code, get it out of your healthcare system and get it into the other system, right? Um, that has been the way it was done for many decades, but requiring a brittle uh, you know, software to be built that breaks, that uh, IT systems have to manage that the typical person can't do, very expensive, takes a long time you know, to do all this sort of stuff. So the answer to a lot of that that came out over the past decade or two, but really over the past decade, this idea of automating, let's not deal with the programming thing. Let's just deal with the user interface. If a human has to go in and can get that data by clicking and typing and swiping and cutting and pasting, I'm just going to have a software bot basically pretend, simulate being the human and do the things that the human does at the user interface level. We call this user interface automation. It has a very fancy name right now. That name is called robotic process automation. And you might be thinking, well, RPA, these RPA systems can do more than just interface, uh, automate user interface stuff. And that is true. They are doing more than just user interface automation, but that is their bread and butter. That is like 90 plus percent of the reason why people use RPA is because it's an easier way of doing integration at the user interface level. I don't have to deal with programming stuff. I can have a non-developer that's not on the IT team build an integration to take something from one place and put it somewhere else. I can automate some task that my accountants are doing or finance at HR. I don't have to get IT involved. And that's why it's so hot right now because I have these software bots basically pretending to be humans and doing these things. And you know what? That works. And there's, there's a reason why it's very popular. It's just the terminology is just all over the place. And it's just hard. It makes it hard to understand what they're truly doing. But you know, I think for the purposes that you've heard us talking about it, we will always refer to not what they call themselves, but what they do. And in this case, we're doing user interface automation. And that's incredibly valuable if you have a, a task that is a user interface task, basically. Exactly. So hopefully, again, ruminating in your head, you know, you're saying, okay, I'm coming up with all these ideas. This is really resonating with me. What can I do? And again, I mean that, you know, we talk about that user interface automation at level zero can be incredibly 
incredibly powerful, right? It's now enabling non-developers to create automations, which they were not able to do before. And a lot of benefits can come from that. I mean, we talked about a lot of those ROIs, right? You know, you're increasing efficiency, increasing speed, maybe reducing errors. But there can also be some dangers that come with this, you know, this quote unquote citizen developer. And we wanted to make sure that we address that in this podcast, especially when we're talking about level zero automation, some of the challenges, um, you know, we we always like to be realists. And so we want to make sure that we always look at every angle and every side of things. And there can be some challenges with this. It's important to understand so that you don't think that there's only upside to this, that you can weigh every every you know thing that's going on, including some of the challenges. So some challenges that you may run into when you're looking at level zero automation can be around security. Not everybody has access to all of the data in your system, right? Whatever that is. And there's reasons for that because maybe they don't need access to it or, you know, there's uh, sensitive information on there. Uh, important that they, you know, not everybody in the company is seeing. So there can be security issues with that, maybe gaining that necessary access, or you could inadvertently be, you know, a, a somehow allowing access to a system or data that you shouldn't have allowed when you're creating this automation. So just kind of think about all the security risks and challenges that can be there. Data challenges too. I mean, a lot of organizations have data silos and some issues around sharing that, whether that can be cultural issues or actual, you know, real system challenges. So that data availability, the data quantity, the data quality, we talk about all of that in other podcasts, really important things to think about, but also when it comes to automation as well. If you have poor quality data, what exactly are you doing that you're automating, moving around this poor quality data? Depends on on what it is, but just be thinking about that. You know, not all data is created the same. So say, okay, what am, what am I doing? Why am I just garbage in, garbage moving around? Uh, you're going to also want to, you know, have that process management in mind. So we talked about what are processes versus what are tasks, this idea of process management in previous podcasts. And what are we doing? What is our process? And how are we using automation to help improve that process? And so we talk about how automation, especially robotic process automation, sometimes can have challenges. And I know um, I'm going to let Ron dig a little deeper into this. He loves talking about this. Right. Because, you know, um, that's the other irony when we when we talk a lot about robotic process automation, the term robotic is a problem because it makes people think of robots when a lot of it is just user interface bot automation. And then the other sec- second part of the word is process when actually a lot of times just automating tasks, you know, we're just automating doing something, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with automating the task that takes up two hours of, every, of your day, or the, as we mentioned, the task that you're making mistakes on or the task with compliance. The thing is, is that that's not the whole process. That, that's just like the task, right? The process might be invoicing. The process might be sales. The process might be marketing, right? And so what, what we're, you're doing is a lot of times we're applying what we call band-aids and duct tape. There's nothing, there's a reason why band-aids exist. You open up your, you know, your bathroom, uh, you know, 
covered. There's probably band-aids in there because you need band-aids, right? You know, you're not going to bleed all over the place, right? Um, and we also have duct tape. Duct tape is great, but they're not meant to be like systemic s- solutions to a problem. I mean, they're just sort of like they, they solve immediate pain points by addressing that pain and stitching things together that need to be stitched together. And that's a lot of what we're doing with the reason why we have user user interface integration is because the systems can't talk to each other or because I, I don't have access to the information or because something is not being you know automatically generated. It's at that point when we're doing these automations, it's important to do them. Now, as mentioned, if you're bleeding, you, you put on a Band-Aid, right? But then the next thing you should think about is, is the next big improvement, improving the process, not just having an army of a hundred bots out there, each doing some crazy little tiny task, because there's a problem with that, right? The the, the problem with that, of course, is now you have an army of a hundred bots that you got to manage, right? And this is especially the case, this is sort of the danger of having with the so-called citizen developer, which is a very popular term. So the idea of a citizen developer is somebody who is not in IT. They're not a developer. They're just Joe, random Joe. And someone gives them this tool that said, hey, did you know in the latest version of whatever, you now can record your screen and automate this task. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm just going to do all, record all these things. And look at this, I'm saving like hours out of my day. You know, these things are automatically doing things. And that's great. The problem is that there, there, there's no supervision, <laughs> right? And uh, how? It, what if that person leaves the organization? What if that that system is doing things that may not be in legal compliance? We've actually have heard this problem where people are violating data privacy laws, taking data out of one place and putting it somewhere else, putting it on a database. You know, this is how 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 people's personal information has gotten compromised. People putting things on databases somewhere to help with something and not realizing the database is accessible to everybody, right? And and this is where it's like I think it's something to be aware of that this this the automation is really hot, at the same time that low code, which is basically you know building applications with very little code or no code, drag and drop, that's also very hot, and it is creating an explosion of new applications and new capabilities, which is solving a lot of problems, but it is creating an additional potential headache, nightmare, security, management, reliability, dependability thing. And so um, we just say, keep process management in mind. And the solution to that, of course, is not a technology solution. It is a, it is a governance or, or a practice solution. You tell people, I'm not going to stop you from building an automation, but if you do create one, maybe there are some steps you need to follow. Maybe there's like some tracking system, or at least it can track it. So if you do leave the company, someone else, you know, we're not telling you exactly what to do, but you should have something, right? And in our workshops, we talk about establishing processes and practices for that. And of course, the last part about this is like, well, how do I manage these things in the long term? How do I deal with versioning? How do I deal with exceptions? How do I deal with the fact that maybe at some point the system that I built the automation for, maybe that system will disappear tomorrow. Maybe the company that I'm working with is no longer there. And therefore that automation itself needs to go bye-bye, right? And if the automation doesn't know that things there is a problem. The last little bit of challenges I want to point out is that when you are building these automations, you're probably going to be buying some technology from some vendor to do it. You're probably not going to build it yourself. You know, especially if you're doing user interface automation, you're probably going to get it from any of a number of very popular vendors that are out there right now. They're, they, each of those solutions has their own proprietary way of doing it. There's no interoperability. So when you imp- automate something with one solution, you are going to be locked in somewhat to that vendor. So you have to think about what that means that you are dependent now 
on that one vendor to make that automation work. And if that automation is incredibly important to your organization, it's doing something really, really important, like approving all of your loans. Um, just, just be aware of the, um, you're over a barrel, basically. You know, you don't have as much control as you like to think. If that person says, you know, if that company says, well, guess what? We are tripling the cost uh, of those automations. You can't exactly say no, right? Or if there's some problem, if all of a sudden that company gets acquired and the prog product goes away, right? There are issues with vendor lock-in. And we, we that's why whenever we do things in our workshops, we try really, really hard to be vendor neutral. We're like, we're not about pushing any one particular vendor. You know, the flavor of the month might be the perfect flavor for you. And we tell people, it's like, hey, you know, you, you like chocolate, you like raspberry, whatever. Somebody really likes pickle flavor. I'm not going to blame you for pickling whatever, picking whatever crazy flavor you want. If it works for you, it works for you. But you need, we let's come up with ways to build and manage these things that are not dependent on that one supplier of pickle ice cream, because for whatever reason, you guys love pickle ice cream and that pickle ice cream vendor goes away one day. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So um, the answer is, of course, is always about method and best practices. And, uh, you know, yeah, open source plays a role in there too, but but uh, we won't get into that. So <laughs> hopefully you guys gain a lot. You know, you might thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there's so much to, to do here. But like, as we said, we spend an entire day workshop, you know, just going over how to identify and prioritize and think about just level zero automation, taking those first steps of automation, going from nothing's automated to just straight up, I don't, I don't really know a better word for it. We call it unintelligent, dumb automation, just, just straight automation. You know, no, no need for any crazy machine learning, right? Just straight up automation. Um, we spend a whole day on that. And, you know, that's what we do in person. You know, I know we're back to the days of doing things in person, but uh, and we could do it virtually too. We, we've had that. But, but the idea is, it's like, it's much better when you do this as a team. Um, you know, it's not the responsibility of, of poor Pam and accounting to have to figure out for, on behalf of the whole company, how to do automation. We've seen that. We're like, I'm going to send one person. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> no, uh, if automation is important, you send the team and we work together and we find out, you know, the things that work and then we help prioritize it. So if, if you're interested in learning more about that, again, just go to Cognolytica, C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. You can see all of our workshops. If you come to our webinar, AIToday.live slash automation you will hear us talking about those workshops as well. But really, honestly, for these podcasts, we just want you to learn, to understand, to realize how important these things are, and to gain this information, not just from the pickle ice cream vendors, but from uh, folks like us that will tell you all about what goes into ice cream. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully you have a lot to digest and think about from today's podcast. We do have previous podcasts, as I've mentioned, on this automation to intelligence uh, journey. So I encourage you to go back and listen to them if you haven't already, or if you'd just like to re-listen to them. And also make sure to subscribe to the AI Today podcast if you'd like to get notified of future episodes, including additional episodes on this journey. Today, we just talked about level zero, but we said that there's level zero, one, two, and three. So we will pre be presenting all of them uniquely and individually in Addition, in additional podcasts coming up. So definitely make sure to subscribe to AI Today Podcast so that you can get notified of those episodes. And as always, we encourage you to reach out to us. We encourage you to come to our webinar, aitoday.live slash automation and reach out to us. Like we said, we always love to hear from you. Please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast platform. And thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. 
To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.